Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. It's my pleasure to talk more with Jazz Goldman today, an intersex human, a friend of mine, an occasional sex partner, a professional cuddler for cuddlist. Suffice it to say, they have a really informed and interesting perspective on intimacy, sex, and gender. Jazz is also a mixed-race person like me, except instead of being British and Indian, they are Black and Jewish. I mention that because I think all four of those identities are complex, but in many ways, to me at least, the most complex identity is that of being mixed-race itself. And on that front, I think the two of us actually find a lot of common ground. Since this episode is about intersex folks, I want to make a quick point. If size and shape of genitals are already understood to vary widely, perhaps on several bell curves, why is it such a stretch to think of the shape of genitals varying not only among these two binary, or within these two binary categories, but also between those two categories as well? Perhaps you can think of this intersex variation as being like an inverted bell curve, where most people tend to occupy a space towards one of these two categories, but various people are spread out between those archetypes of, I guess you could call them, penis scrotum and vulvovaginal. And that isn't even getting into gonads quote-unquote not matching, or androgen insensitivity syndrome, or Klinefelter syndrome, or Turner syndrome, or any of the other various situations that intersex folks or non-conforming folks might be put in. I'll post a video by some intersex folks on what it's like to be intersex. But now let's go to the episode recorded on my back in a dark room while I was uber sick with a headache during an intense flare-up of IBS. Fun! So today's episode is going to be a little slower than usual. I'm super, I'm super, super sick. I'm on my back on my bed right now, and all the curtains are drawn in my room, and there's like a dim red light in the corner, but I have this amazing human Jazz Goldman with me (laughs) who has offered to record these podcasts, and I wanted to record them before they go back to Seattle and then continue their plans to move to LA. Is it okay for me to disclose that? Yeah. Sweet. Um... Jazz is an awesome human who likes community building and participates in community a lot with things like yoga and is a black Jewish femme human. Is there anything else you'd like to add to your intro, Jazz? (laughs) Um, I am also a performance artist. Oh, that's right. And your website is jazzgoldman.com. That's right. And I also do professional cut links. Right, right. <clears throat> At cuddlist.com backslash jazz. Sweet. <laughs> uh, yes. So those are those are all the things, plus the obvious uh, sex education, why we're, we're here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So let's start into talking about intersex stuff. How would you define intersex? <laughs> so I, I thought about this because... Um, for me, you know, definitions are always interesting because my mm. colonized instinct is to like go to a dictionary or something, you know, go mm-hmm. to an authoritative, uh, definitive, this is the way it is kind of place. Right. Um, and when I was able to step away from that and try to hone in on what I think it is to the population, um, cause I will answer what it is to me, um, as far as I can tell, intersex is just when people have differentiation enough in their external um, genitalia that the rest of the world says you're not normal. That is what intersex is as defined by others. 
to me. <laughs> right. Would you would you say that extends to internal genitalia as well? Actually, no, because okay. I think that's part of the problem. Like to me, intersex identity does, of course, include the things we can't see, and in many ways, is more about that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not why, as far as I can tell, the medical industry and lay people are concerned or take any interest. They take interest because of what they can see, which mm. is effed up, in my opinion, <laughs> and uh, and distracting from like what people may actually need in their experience in their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so cool. that, that, that's it to me. <laughs> so when talking about like the sort of spectrum of phenotypes that human genitals have, both externally and I suppose internally as well, um, my understanding of what you are communicating is that if you are far enough away from one of the poles of having an archetypically quote-unquote male um you know male genitals or archetypically female genitals whatever that exactly means because mm -hmm. um, there's so much healthy variation right in in genitals if you asked you know a medical professional to describe what healthy labia looked like you'd get a very broad definition hopefully yeah fingers hopefully. crossed <laughs> I mean, that's just one tiny example of how incredibly diverse human genitals are and penises and, and you know, assigned male or birth genitals are no, no exception to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, so I'm, my understanding is if you deviate far enough from the poles that medical professionals can't easily assign you either male or female as a, as a label for your genitals, you would consider that intersex. Mm-hmm. So that I like that for external genitals, but that's not I, I, that's not my definition. That's what I think the general understood definition is, and that oh, it's deeply flawed. Right is my point. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. was going to very gently approach that <laughs> definition. Like, yes, I, I sometimes I, I I get so folded into the layers that I only speak out the one, and then I can confuse people quite badly okay. so yeah i don't believe that that is the real marker of intersex that people have just enough um differentiation or deviation from the norm quote-unquote norm that's mm. not really what it's about to me um but i do think that's what it's really about to the public i'm curious to hear your definition of what intersex is about for you yeah <clears throat> well i think as it as it has manifested in in my body and how I f see it slash feel about it is 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 actually a lot closer to how I just feel about my identity. It's I am a fluid person and that is expressed in my body as well. And mm -hmm. I don't I personally don't feel that I fit discreetly into the category which I was assigned at birth, mm -hmm. you know, I got assigned female and, um, you know, I don't feel like that's exactly what's going on with me. And I have spent a lot of years having many different experiences to reflect back that, that I am outside of the norm, <laughs> actually, mm -hmm. in spite of being able to pass. Right. Yeah. So... Before we move on from a definition of intersex, I wanted to bring up the idea of internal genitalia and fertility. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm curious if you wanted to speak on that. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's also one of the markers, right? Is mm. If somebody can or can't reproduce um, offspring. Right. Uh, uh, wait, what exactly are you asking, though? Oh, I, I guess I was curious if that falls into the definition at all yeah if someone has testes instead of ovaries or vice versa right yeah i'm yes 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 that's that's definitely part of it and 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 part of why i'm frustrated with how intersexual intersexness is treated is mm -hmm. that um we don't care if for example somebody who's walking around presenting as one gender actually their genetic makeup and their internal anatomy reflect something different. 
like people go through their whole lives not having to deal with any of the experiences that come along with having a different expression you know um we so, just, we so just, aren't. just so i think it does count is mm -hmm. what i'm saying um mm -hmm. and and it should matter more <laughs> than it does but we're very very focused as a culture on presentation so what i'm hearing is we're very focused on gender expression mm -hmm. not so much on the actual sex of the person yeah and we just assume that everyone's going to be cisgendered, which is to say that they present the gender and express the gender that's typically assigned to people with the genitals, with their label. Mm-hmm. So people like myself who were assigned male at birth, that's talking about sex and what my parts look like. If those people are presenting predominantly masculine, we'd say they're cisgendered. Or if, like me, they start putting on lipstick and feel really strange unless their nails are painted, um, you know, we might say that they're gender non-binary or we might say that they're cis-ish. <laughs> <laughs> there tends to be some element of not, I mean, I I personally use the word transness differently. Hmm. Um, I don't identify as a trans person. I identify more as a non-binary gender human. Mm-hmm. But there's also a distinction between not just sex and gender, but between gender identity, which is who I feel like on the inside, mm -hmm. and gender expression of, of how I choose to express my gender. And I think that was the piece you were touching on, this idea that gender expression seems to be the thing everyone cares about because it's what they actually see and interact with. Yeah, we're a pretty surface-level society, unfortunately, mm -hmm. well, <laughs> including in how we medicalize people. We medicalize first on what we can see, is another way of, of describing what I what my opinion was. <laughs> right, and I think I think that's valid because if we're talking about lay people, they only really have the information they can see to work with. But when you're talking about medical staff, that's totally different, and yet not that different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. It's the whole thing about even if you have a specialized field that you work in, you're not taken out of the society and culture that brought you up. Right. And you will carry over those things into your work. Mm -hmm. It's especially an issue with the medical field. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. So I'm interested in how you see transness and how you use that word. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I've actually uh, only started to identify as trans pretty recently because um, of because uh, I thought that I couldn't count as trans. Essentially, mm -hmm. I my understanding was that at the time, not not currently, um, that if you if you didn't have extreme dysmorphia and or didn't hate your body. Um, super mm -hmm. intensely that that you couldn't be trans which is just so <laughs> loaded and horrible right. and is something I hear reflected by lots of other people um, this is a this is a common thing for some trans people is that they feel excluded mm -hmm. from themselves <laughs> because right. um, because of messaging that trans is just one thing right and and yeah so like trans trans identity to me is is also just not able to be divorced from fluidity and i i see my transness as a flowing between and an either neither experience of the binaries of male and female in terms of sex or in terms of like the gender that's usually assigned with them i mean i guess kind of both in a sense yeah, but I was talking about the the latter thing you said. Gender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. I mean, this is this is the issue with with <laughs> definitions and also with definitions for my personal identity is that like, to an extent, m myself refuses to pick anything. Right. And that's why I I feel most comfortable in trans and gender nonconforming or non-binary identity. Right. Um, yeah. I also feel more comfortable in gender nonconforming or gender nonbinary, yeah. um, identity. And I think, 
I guess what I was originally struggling with is I've typically conceptualized transness as being a gendered thing, but it's not really. Like, it doesn't have to exclusively be gender because it has to do with a quote-unquote misalignment, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> Some sort of, like, non-congruence with, with societal expectations mm -hmm. that your sex as assigned at birth and your gender as assigned to you, I guess also at birth, that they don't line up in a way society expects. So I can see how like gender nonconforming could count as trans. I think I, yeah, but people do like to make the distinction and I sort of think of gender nonconforming to trans as like rectangle to square, mm. which I'm not a math person, so I probably shouldn't try to continue with that comparison. But like <laughs> the general idea is that, Hey, what is it? A, a rectangle can never be a square, but... A square is always a rectangle. Right. So... Right. Transness is always gender nonconforming, but gender nonconforming is not necessarily transness. There we go. Cool. Thanks for actually illustrating my analogy. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'm curious about your social experience having a body that can be perceived outside of this male-female binary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when... When we chatted about that question, I kind of just had a flood of memories from childhood. Mm. And I'm I'm a performer, so that means that I've been, you know, doing scenes and staged productions and things since I was... Well, technically, technically, since I was in about third grade, so like nine. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, eight or nine years old. And throughout like basically from the beginning I was always being cast um outside of gender expectation let's just mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. so typically that looked like being cast as a boy character um and what I remember being what I remember as interesting from those moments is that one I was never ever bothered by it like I was brought up just like everyone else and and with you know, parents that had their gender expectations and shoved me along in the ways that they thought were appropriate. Mm -hmm. And any time I had a moment in my life where I was given the option to do something very different from that, mm -hmm. I was quite happy to. Right. And I never, I never had the like, oh, I don't want to look like a boy or like, I don't want to, you know, like right, just right. never for a second. I just have zero memories of that. And there's, I just don't even understand how that could be except for like, you know, just a maybe a strong sense of self <laughs> deep down there um so like that's that's like the first kind of wave of thoughts i had about what how has it affected me you know mm -hmm. is that like people were already sort of seeing something that i wasn't more or less mm. um and i was comfortable more than i knew it was sort of like both of those things happening at the same time. And mm. I do remember that I, I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, single out my family, but like, I'll, I will, I will say that like my mom definitely, um, had a hard time with that and would, would talk to me about it. Um, she's an interesting person because like to her credit, I believe that there's a piece of her that, never ever wanted to make me something I wasn't and as my difference grew and became more apparent as I grew older it was this t it was tough for her and she would try to like say her beliefs and but not push me and it it, it was just kind of messy and a little bit awkward but mm. um yeah like I would get feedback from her about basically that I was being weird, you know, like that this wasn't normal is mm -hmm. what would come across a little bit at a time, but because she didn't really want to shame me ever or make mm. me feel bad about myself. Um, that sounds, it, that sounds positive. It, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm basically like, I have this super intelligent, deeply loving, uh, mom who, is also a conservative person raised in religion and I was not raised in religion. So like she had a whole, a whole life and background telling her that these things were not right, but she also has, you know, a gigantic 
heart and loves her kids to death. So like <laughs> that's adorable <laughs> and complicated. Right. So she would still give me shitty what is ultimately, you know, phobic messaging. Mm. Um but wasn't able to do it with enough conviction to really disrupt me as a person. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's complex. <laughs> um gosh, so what else what else came up around that like Oh, I mean, and then and then there's just all this stuff about me being too aggressive and too opinionated and like, <laughs> you know, tomboy and rough and tumble kid and like all that sort of stuff. Like I just I was I was that girl, you know, on the playground in a dress, but also like jumping and climbing trees and, you know, being a little a little monkey like that's right <laughs> that was a thing like I, I also remember like a teacher gently trying to explain to me why it might be good to wear pants <laughs> because right they, everyone was uncomfortable with me flipping around in my dresses on the jungle gym <laughs> right because that clothing is designed for someone who's not intended to be active right and and my mom had deep conflict about that because she was very happy that I liked dresses and wanted to wear them. You liked dresses and wanted to wear them? I did. <laughs> I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just super curious because I have a hard time conceptualizing you as like super dress wearing. I know. There's like this whole whole side of jazz that used to be very, very traditionally femme. And yeah, like when I was a, a kid, I loved dresses and... The only reason why I stopped wearing them super regularly was because of what I just described, was because I also wanted to be very active, and hmm. and I was made to choose. <laughs> and so I got more used to wearing pants, and then that just kind of stuck. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else has come into... Uh, I mean... And, and I also want to be mindful because i just brought up that point with like some shock that, <laughs> that it doesn't make someone less trans or less intersex um if if they also enjoy you know behaviors that are cis-ish or are assigned to them there's it's not like it you know is like revoking your trans card right but i think it's significant to bring up the that too just because mm -hmm. that is what i believed on on a yeah. very deep level and is part of what disrupted my ability to know myself more more deeply <laughs> say that again what disrupted your ability to know yourself the conservative values right yeah the idea that like these things look like one thing only and right. that there isn't a range of experience right mm -hmm. i guess i should ask another question okay. <laughs> as i like peel paper off of myself being sick sucks. Yeah. So I'm curious how presenting as gender non-binary or trans impacts the way others see you professionally. <laughs> how does it impact you in your work life? Um, well, I mean, in a nutshell, I am never seen as I am and constantly disrespected and erased. Oh, Jesus. That is as awful as I had hoped it wouldn't be. I know. And, uh, you That's know, not just, your That's just not your a shout out to the last office I worked in, whose name <laughs> I won't mention, but anyone can take a little gander and figure that out on their own if they like. But yeah, I left that place because I was so impacted by erasure and flat out disrespect. Jeez, that's like ruthless. Over a year working there, thirteen months, and people were still bucking up my pronouns. <laughs> and and like I'll tell you how bad that is because like you know Grace and you know people are in different stages of learning, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The office I worked in was not one about sexuality directly, although it was very much gendered, and so there should have been some deeper knowledge about that. But anyway, and I will should on that office. There should have been absolutely should have been. Yeah. Um, but like when I, when I first started there, 
Um, and the person who hired me asked, you know, I'm going to introduce you in a message to the office. What would you like me to say? And I didn't know what to do about that because I'd never been introduced in the professional setting in that way. And one of the only things I specified was I am trans. I use they, them pronouns. Right. Like, and then within the first week of working there, I added pronouns to my signature Mm -hmm. in purple. Right. Everything else was black that, you know, the email came in blue. Right. I put that in purple, like, holy hell. I put it in a different color. I literally highlighted it. Didn't matter. Didn't freaking matter. That sucks. (laughs) I'm so mad about that. (laughs) So another way it impacts me and impacts many other people is that like they have to leave good jobs. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah. Because those jobs are super intolerant. They're toxic. Yeah. It's not even about the intolerance. It's about the, the, the environment of toxicity that like poisons people from the inside out. Like yeah. Stress levels were off the chart there. <laughs> so aside from the obvious, like, you know, um, erasure type stuff, like, like misgendering you consistently, um, could you talk more to the audience about why those things are so hurtful and toxic and damaging and yeah, and, and like, I'd be interested to hear other ways it manifests than direct misgendering, like other yeah. ways people would have referred to you or described things. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so I could hear the sigh of like, do I really want to do this emotional labor? <laughs> I mean, it was both of our idea to, to speak on this subject. That's so true. I, I have chosen in. And I also know that if it got to be too much, we could take a break Definitely. or decide to not do this at all. Definitely. Um, so. I, I feel like I'm the one lying on, you know, their back, r- totally exhausted and sick. And, and you might be the more exhausted of the two of us after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what cuddles and TV are for. Definitely. Um, so. I've I've sort of forgot the question now. Oh, I wanted to talk about different kinds of microaggression or um, Other ways up- upsetting of... toxic behavior that trans people experience in the workplace that, or specifically that you experienced in what sounds like a very toxic workplace. So other ways that it comes up. Um, okay, well, yeah, here's another way it came up. Um, so like when I sort of tried to make it clearer to people to use my gender pronouns properly um they instead stopped saying my name like as in stop talking to me or about me altogether um and then if they had an opportunity to refer to me they would use my name and not a pronoun even when it was very linguistically awkward to do so. Right. (laughs) Um, Even though they could have just used they, them. Right. They would mumble, sometimes say the wrong pronoun and then stop and then say my name or just, yeah, it it was just so fucking embarrassing, really. I feel like if someone uses the wrong pronoun, as long as they correct it with the right pronoun, I'm less upset about it. Yeah, because but, to say, like, she, and then go, no, jazz, is right. like... It's not correcting the mistake. No, it's 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 basically just pointing out that you know you use the wrong word, and you actually do associate that with me. And <laughs> like, that that's actually what that is. <laughs> right, and that there's a refusal to put in, like, the tiny amount of effort to just use the correct pronoun afterwards. And so, like, a larger impact of that is that I am am constantly swimming in this feeling of nobody sees me, nobody Mm -hmm. knows me. Like those are the, those were like the nega mantras of, of my experience there. And there were other ones too, of course, but this idea that, or not this idea, but this lived experience that no one actually sees me for who I am slash they don't care. (laughs) And, and, and therefore they don't know me at all. (laughs) that's rough and i do feel that like basically every single person in the office didn't ever get to know me and didn't really see me for who i am except for when they i like 
made it so abundantly clear, and this was only to two or three employees, that they actually had to shape up. Like they they were just faced with it enough in direct conversation with me because uh, the folks that, that I talked to more about it had other marginalized identities. And so I was just mm. trying to have any sense of connection with people in the office and chose to, you know, put energy towards them in spite of their inabilities in other areas, just because this is actually something we talked about in the other podcast, like mm-hmm. intersection, people of intersections, people who live. <laughs> oh, God, what am I trying to say? <laughs> You're talking about marginalized identities and trying to connect and reach out to other folks at, at work that had at least some marginalized identities, even if they weren't trans. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And I mean, like, what's happening in my body right now describing it is mm. basically a mild trauma response. My stomach is really constricted. It's harder for me to breathe. My heart rate is a little bit up. I'm not totally freaking out right now. I feel relatively safe, but even just like getting real about what those experiences were like, it's trauma. Like, Mm -hmm. and so like, you know, little T trauma, what's happening now. And honestly, like a lot of the things I'm describing, little T trauma, but a cumulative effect, right? Like Mm -hmm. I was only there for 13 months. Like I can't even imagine people who don't have the ability to just leave, you know, um, because of maybe other obligations and people that depend on them. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't feel like I answered all the pieces of that follow-up question. I'm trying to see if there was something else in there like other other things that come up well i mean i think i think i should also take a second to be really upfront about my my own uh place in in trans identity because i pass as cis and that is not something i can undo (laughs) um sure i thought i could with like letting my body hair grow as it will Um, So, for example, I basically have, like, a 13-year-old's goatee, (laughs) like, real peach fuzz, but, like, also it's, like, long hair coming out of my chin, and that started when I was about 16, Um, and I was plucking for years and years, and then I I had a surgery where I was out of work for a bit and just didn't groom, and then was, like, encouraged by my partner, who also was just, like, super helpful and supportive of of my fluid identity um so much so that they helped me like see it in ways that i had not been able to (laughs) um and yeah so like i grew out my beard hair and grew out my armpit hair and my you know sideburns and my happy trail on my stomach and you know i have thick leg hair and pubic hair and all those things and i spent Mm -hmm. years gaining comfort with how much hair I had and also thought that that would, um, change things. You know, I thought, I thought maybe, you know, people will, will see me more for who I am. Nope. I still pass as a woman like a lot, if not just most of the time. And so how even, I'm well, cu- I'm curious if that relates at all to like your stature, cause like you're not an especially tall human. Oh, yes. I think that's that's definitely a a good point, too. And, like, there's a whole cultural thing around small equals femme. Right. Or feminine. Right. Um, but what I, what, I, what I wanted to say is just that because I am a trans person who passes, the, the negative experiences in my life <coughs> are not going to be the same. And, and I'm lucky, you know, that these are the things that I've had to go through. Um, versus getting fired, you know, or, or just having people say straight up transphobic slur type things. Um, right. Like if people don't know you and don't have a reason to interact with you, there's no reason they'd assume you are trans. So you don't have to deal with street harassment the same way. Exactly. 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 I have to deal with street harassment for other reasons. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Um, Victor, the computer is uh, dormant. Is that okay? Yeah, it should be fine. Oh, okay. So, 
um, yeah, I just wanted to, to say that because I do that for my, my, uh, black identity as a light skinned person. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to pretend like I know all the pain and suffering and like sure. I've experienced even a fraction of some of the most horrible shit. So mm-hmm. it's the same with trans stuff for me and intersex identity really. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've never, I've never had doctors say fucked up things about my body as pertains to an intersex identity, you know, and that's right. That's its own kind of, I don't know that some trans folks do have to deal with. Yeah. It's like doctors telling them they should do certain things or like their body needs to be modified in certain ways. Sure. Or even just like, you know, you can, you can be an intersex person and feel fine with what is going on and not, not need any feedback or medical support and just like people will you know tell you what they think that you need to know (laughs) right and it comes also back to like i didn't i didn't ask a question about that yeah sort of like as a as a uterus owner Mm -hmm. doctors will tell me things about reproductive uh situations (laughs) that i don't need to fucking interface with them about like it's not relevant to me right um but it doesn't matter because i'll get that get those those pearls of wisdom anyway right right (laughs) and i imagine that also extends to things like racial identities too yeah there's um a degree of being understood or believed as being like the expert of your own experience that kind of may take a bit of a backseat with things like you described like feminist or transness Mm-hmm. And quite possibly with a racialized identity as well. I'm pretty sure there's research on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so shifting gears a little, how does intersexuality, um, that is so surprisingly close to intersectionality, which is not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. How does intersexness, I'll use your strategy from earlier, mm-hmm. impact your relationships, like your intimate relationships? Yeah. Well, it's sort of like a a quieter, more isolated version of the, like, you're different and, and I don't really know who you are. So like Mm -hmm. over, over the years and like, I, I became, um, sexually active as a teenager and I'm 31 now. So I've had like a good chunk of time exploring and I, you know, I look back now and there are some common things that I, you know, like actual phrases and, and like, uh, comments that have come up over and over to the point where I finally started to reflect those things back and think about my body in a different way. Um, and I just want to take a second to be like, I'm going to talk about my body and what it looks like. Cause I feel comfortable doing that. But like, um, that's never required. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, and this sort of notion of describing genitalia and like things like that is, is like an invasive kind of thing. And if we were living in a better world, it just really wouldn't be much of a necessary conversation. I, I would hope. Right. That people don't need to ask what your genitals look like. Yeah, to to understand things. But yeah, I mean like here's here's the thing that's come up my whole life. Everyone's like you have a giant clit. Right. A really really big clit. And like, you know, I spent a number of years not um not playing with femmes who had vulvas, so like there was a point when I didn't have any other comparisons and I wasn't like a kid who got on the internet and saw a lot of porn. So like there was a time in my life when it was really just my vulva was the center of the universe and (laughs) and still is in some ways. And so like, (laughs) so when people would tell me this, I basically would ignore it because I was like, yeah, so I don't think about this. And then as I, you know, had more experiences and had more basis of comparison and the feedback stayed the same. And it was like with people who were shitty and people who liked me a lot, mm-hmm. you know? So it wasn't like, oh, weirdos or fuck boys were saying that. And like, so that meant nothing. It was like, right. no, people I love, people that I'm in deep committed relationship with right. are also saying this. And um, so, you know, 
that's that's like that's one of the giant experiences that kind of has brought me to this place and then I started to pay more attention and became a sex educator years later and and learned more and more about differentiation of body and realized that mine was more differentiated than quote-unquote typical afab folk (laughs) which stands for assigned female at birth for those who are following yes um and and then you know even some some time after that looking more at my body and and seeing other things that are differentiated mm-hmm. and just putting it all together and then and realizing that like I really do have a body that is different from other people and how do I actually feel about that right <laughs> how do you feel about it um I mean, most days I really, really love it and it doesn't (laughs) even come up much. Mm -hmm. And then there are just times when like someone will react a certain way when they're going down on me. Mm. Yeah. I think I was, I was chatting with you a bit about that earlier, but like before or after I went down on you, (laughs) sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm totally derailing you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I I believe it would have been after. <laughs> so, uh, so did I pass the test or did I say shitty things? You didn't. You didn't even do nothing but good things. So, so it's not, yeah, it's not about you, Victor. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm now making it about me. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's just nothing quite like, you know, having someone go down on you and do something pleasurable and then watch their body freeze and like feel Mm. the confusion and then have them just change gears. And there's like, and like this is a subtle shit, right? This is not stuff where there's conversation. Like I've luckily never had somebody go down on me and then be like, Oh, what is going on here? And then stop. Right. Right. right? Which like Lord knows that's happened to many people and that's fucked up. But I've had like, tiny like slices of that like many many different people who've gone down on me over the years have done that have like froze up (laughs) and it's not because of what they're looking at it's because of what they're feeling (laughs) and Mm -hmm. like whatever they're doing in their mouths um it's yeah and i just didn't know what that was about (laughs) right (laughs) and and it it and i understand now why like I've had such difficulty with with typical cis men mm-hmm. because I think that there's something about my body that is too masculine for them and they're not comfortable enough to sit in their attraction to me or it is just a turn off right in the way that like some some cis people or some cis men can't deal with a femme who has you know underarm hair and that's just like whoop you know, deal breaker, no way. <laughs> right. I think that there, for for some people that I've engaged with over the years, there was something about my vulva that was that way for them. <laughs> right, where they found something about it unappealing, perhaps, or, mm-hmm. or disruptive to their ideas of what it, quote-unquote, should have looked like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it was disruptive to their ability to fuck me properly. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Um, you're welcome to chat more about differentiation if you'd like. I also don't want to put you on the spot to be like, tell us all about your genitals. Cause like, that's, that's such a weird thing. It's like, you don't need to prove shit to anyone about being intersex enough or like this enough. It's like, I know, yeah. I know. I just felt the need to say that. <laughs> that was about me. <laughs> I feel good talking about my body for now. Okay. Yeah. Cool. You'd mentioned earlier that there were some cultural interactions or intersections between being intersex and being black and or Jewish. And I'd be curious to hear more about like how those things play together. Right. So who gets defined as a woman or a man is also impacted by race Mm -hmm. and black people, black women, black femmes are like not are frequently and often not seen as real women in comparison to their non-black um 
Associates. Associates. I'm... I was like, what's the... Peers. There we go. <laughs> peers. That's, that's, that's the that's correct right. word. For peers. What... <laughs> oh, you got to snort. Um, yeah. So in, in some senses, as a black person, I'm already and always less of a woman than I could be. Um, less of an assigned female person. Oh, that is so squidgy for me. Yeah, it's effed up. I'm not even black, and that was just like, oh. Sorry, again, making this about me. Go on. Oh, you're just having reactions. We're 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 friends and like each other. If you haven't noticed, so like, it's okay <laughs> if you, <laughs> for a moment, <laughs> center your feelings in our back and forth discussion. <laughs> I just like I definitely don't think of you as as less anything. Yeah. I just think of you as like more you, if anything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because you're a well-adjusted, non <laughs> non bigoted person. Yay! <laughs> Thanks. Right. <laughs> Good I job. I, I think I tripped on that bar on my way into the room. <laughs> what? Um, like the bar for like decent people to associate with is so low and it's like, I just oh. want someone who's not horrifically bigoted towards me or against me. <laughs> Fuck. But yeah, I mean like, so we can, we can turn that, that notion you just described towards bodies and relationship. And like, so because I've had so many weird experiences that I couldn't quite place over the years with people as they interacted with my body when I came across a person who didn't do those things I mean like they became the bestest ever you know like <laughs> right nothing but but love and respect to my first uh girlfriend and you know uh super long uh, term relationship that we had but like to a certain extent I you know pursued that relationship because of those feelings because she didn't do those things like she was just naturally kind and gentle and accepting about enough things about me including my body that Mm. um that she became like super awesome and like again i'm not saying that she isn't because i'm not going to shit on my ex right <laughs> she's one of the good exes that i have so you know <laughs> but um uh but yeah yeah like the bar is low mm-hmm. the bar is really low and for for people like me um if we find someone who's like just isn't awful sometimes that is seen as more better than it actually is <laughs> yeah it's funny how arousal and safety kind of work together and sometimes when a person has like a suppressed sense this has just been my experience anyway of of being like a racialized person in certain spaces the more that i'm like aroused but it's being suppressed by a sense that i'm not in a safe space when i get into a safe space there's like this unleashing of that and oh, i can be like yeah release the kraken yeah, but it's like it's hard to feel aroused in a not safe space and it it may or may not even be actually safe, but the fact that people have like dropped markers that it may be really dangerous is enough to put you on edge. Mm-hmm. And then the second you're with someone who you can just relax with, you're just like, "Oh god, I want to get off." Mhm. Mm-hmm. And specifically with this safe person because like the experience of safety can also be can feel a lot like the experience of arousal Yeah. when those, like those two things can get really linked. And then it's not even so much that like a person seems better than they are, but that just like a person seems super arousing for the extremely legitimate reason of being a safe person to be around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really easy to, to see that through like a stigmatized light of like, Oh, but if they're only arousing because they're safe, dot, dot, dot. But, the truth is, like, that's as legitimate a reason to be arousing as any. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's, like... The most uh, legitimate. 
Well, I mean, <laughs> legit, but I was going to say, like, it's a healthy response. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, it makes sense and good job if you can manage to be aroused by someone who is safe for you, because that's not true for everyone. Right. <laughs> and that's a whole complex other kind of discussion <laughs> right. about intersections of trauma and childhood experiences and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is everything I wanted to ask you about. Uh, do you have any did like? Did we really go through all those questions? We did. Do you have oh. any like closing remarks, or do you have any like things you wanted to talk about that maybe questions that I didn't ask that you wish I had? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot for closing remarks, and then we'll see if there's like questions that crop up as I <laughs> uh, ramble a bit. Sure. This is just so large of a discussion and I feel a certain sense of imposter syndrome and inadequacy throughout like like this is probably the most space that I've been given to talk about my my identity in this way and mm -hmm. it's it's quite new for me <laughs> and there's all of the 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 like self-talk around like do I get to be in this or not and like mm -hmm. who says that I do um so I'm feeling like a lot of nervousness, but also gratitude for the opportunity to even like share this. I, mm. I hope that I haven't butchered things terribly and that like the queer community isn't going to come for me and my shitty definitions. If, if you, if you want to talk more about your genitals and like you want to leave those markers for folks that you're worried like will be, you know, no. Um, scrutinizing you're welcome to do that but you just feel like don't feel like you have to no i don't i don't think that's not why i mean yeah i mm -hmm. no. <laughs> okay <laughs> um gosh I, I just didn't want you to feel like i had told you not to talk about them in the name of like no you actually said the same thing twice you okay. said that i didn't have to all right and then i made my decision um mm. We didn't, like we didn't even talk about hormones, for example. And like right. I am not a sciencey person, <laughs> and so like that's okay. There's, can... Like there's a whole through line of that in my life. This idea that I have more testosterone, like sure, you know, uh, as evidenced by extra body hair in places that aren't supposed to be there for quote, afab peeps, quote unquote. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The idea that I have a, a super high sex drive, um, mm -hmm. and um, you don't hear me complaining, can, and can be like, I you know the aggressive comments that I've had throughout my life, you know, mm -hmm. were mostly in like social non-sexual environments, but um, but mm -hmm. then you know when I became an adult and you know it was appropriate and there were people to reflect back my sexual habits then aggressive was also a term that that came up there too um and just like that i was not satisfied in the same ways that people expected a woman to be um could you even could you... silly things like i would pass out after sex and people would <laughs> laugh and be like that's like what dudes do <laughs> right right <laughs> I right. like, you know, I, I like to hump things a lot, <laughs> like mm -hmm. a lot, a lot, <laughs> apparently or seemingly more so than other femmes. Like, I don't think that's real, but that's a thing that people have said, you know? Right, right. Um, uh, and, and, and yeah, like, I, I think that I, I mean, this doctor was total crap, so I'm, I'm disinclined to believe anything she told me, including medical results. <laughs> but, like, she did take some blood work and look at my um, hormone levels, and they were apparently normal. And this hmm. is the first time I've ever had that confirmed. Um, and I have been working with a personal theory that that was not the case. Mm -hmm. I am sure there are multiple ways in which to examine hormones and that whatever that naturopath did was like a level one or like and, a... <laughs> and also like, it's pretty, like, it would be pretty strange, I think, for 
a, do a doctor of any kind to return a result that wasn't normal unless they had a specific, <clears throat> like, a specific term for it. Like, unless you had, like, hyperandrogenism or, like, one of, mm -hmm. one of the medicalized labels mm -hmm, for, mm -hmm. for intersex femmes, mm -hmm. um, I can't imagine a doctor would say, yes, this is not normal. They would just say, oh, you're just on, you know, the higher end of normal or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. And, you know, maybe... Maybe it was an in utero environment thing, right? Because yeah. you can have like more hormones in utero, um, and and typically, oh, my science isn't amazing on this either. But my understanding is it's the testosterone bath in utero mm -hmm. that helps your um, cells figure out what the hell they're doing. Yeah. And depending on what the hormonal environment was in utero, that could have changed body structures in a way that doesn't require ongoing hormone differentiation. Mm -hmm. Like you can sort of get a, like a, a splash of it at one point in your right. growing journey and then that does the trick or other people have different experiences where it's an ongoing. Sure, sure. Le different levels of things. Yeah, like if your body just makes more testosterone, that might be really different from like if you get a splash of it in utero. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But either way, it can cause structures to differentiate in a in a sexually dimorphic way. Right. Um, where you're like, you know, you might present more as, oh, these genitals sort of look more what you'd expect from someone we assign male to. But we're going to assign this person female regardless, because <laughs> yeah. there are more markers for that. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, yeah. And there are other, like, what's the, the term? Like I want, like, all I can think of right now is colloquial, but that's, that's just like slang terminology. Um, you can just use it. And... Yeah. But like, like the, uh, like it's just these notions that we have around what goes for things that are for boys and for girls. So like, I like to be really active and, and right. when I'm active, my body changes quickly in a way that is typically associated with, with, um, with, with men. I see. Like, like I get muscle, I get exactly like I put on muscle, muscle tone mass. quickly. Right. Um, and, and like I gain and lose quickly, which is more often associated with men. It's, cer it's certainly it's certainly associated with high testosterone. Yeah, thanks for being more specific. But but <laughs> yes, that is also associated with men. So um, you know things like that have come up too, and so mm -hmm. like, what does all this mean? <laughs> and who decides what it means? Right, and I think that's that's the point that is super relevant in this conversation. Is like if you feel like it, like if you have a sense that your genitals or that your behavior, or that your body's behavior, like, if you have any of those senses and you're just like, this is not the same as what society is telling me I quote-unquote should look like, yeah, it's totally reasonable to, to pick one of the, like, liminal identities, whether that's whether that's typically some form of like, well, I'm not completely cis mm -hmm. um, and I can't really describe why or what it is. Like, if you just know that you're not completely cis, like, go with that. Like, it doesn't right. have to be medically supported to be a real thing. Right, right. Right, because again, like... And I just remembered something kind of funny about my family history. There, go for there, it. there are some, there was one pair of first cousins who married a while ago <laughs> okay. i'm not gonna say on which side because i don't feel like being <laughs> embarrassing to family members who maybe don't want that out there sure although it's not a secret um <laughs> yeah like so how did that affect my genetic makeup like and the way that they're and like how epigenetics work and like things that can get turned on and turned off at random based on environment and whatnot like there's so many ways that we can like try to make sense of stuff and i also want to be mindful of not like medicalizing intersex intersexness like it doesn't yeah. take um you know like incest or inbreeding or anything like that um to produce intersex individuals they're a totally regular 
happen to a certain percent of births as like a normal run-of-the-mill thing correct so like, there's there's no like reason intersex identity as as a thing or like you know bodies or whatever they have always been here just yes like what we say about trans folk like it's right. not a new phenomenon there's always been a percentage of the population right. that will express this way and that is in and of itself normal and it's and it's pretty consistent too across like all cultures and mm -hmm. socioeconomic categories it's it's not like, you know, oh, if a mother's malnourished or like, oh, this right. or that. It's just like a percentage of humans just like do this thing. And it's it's going to be on a bell curve like so many other things in biology. But for some reason, the public really struggles <laughs> applying the bell curve, you know, to genitals in a way that it doesn't when applying it to things like heights. <laughs> it's like even, even if you're talking about lengths of dicks. <laughs> Or sizes of breasts. They're, you know, society can be like, cool, bell curve. Right. But the second you're like, the degree to which genitals look like, quote unquote, dicks versus clits. And society's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -hmm. What do you mean there's a bell curve? Like, it's not like most people are in between those two things. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, then like, maybe think of it like an inverted bell curve where there's like a lot of people on, you know, these polar extremes. But there is this like... This like I would I would guess an inverted bell curve where there are people that have mixes and it doesn't matter what the slope of that bell curve is. It doesn't matter what the sigma is. This isn't like an example that needs to test out mathematically. The point is, I think as a person with a degree in biology, mm -hmm. it is unreasonable <laughs> to assume that genitals wouldn't have a, a, a variety of ways they present. And, and even if that's the only thing I'm saying, just that genitals have a variety of ways they present, I also think it is, it is pretty un untenable to hold the position that they only vary in how they present in two categories. Right. Because clearly they're <laughs> going to vary in how they present in terms of how much they are of one category or another. I mean, even look at, at something like eye color. Uh -huh. There are so many little things that can happen with genetic expression. My right. my degree was in cellular molecular and microbial biology. Oh, that's so hot. Can you do that again? <laughs> cellular, molecular, and microbial biology. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. I think I'm a sapiosexual amongst many other things. So Sure. I tend to think of that more as a fetish than I think of it as an orientation. What? Sapiosexuality. Oh. I think it's kind of just named like an orientation. Yeah, but I mean I th that's how that's how I guess I just used it, but mm -hmm. but I guess more what I mean is that like intelligence is attractive to me, right? <laughs> and there's like it's interesting because when you talk to like um, neurodivergent folks about this, some of them get really miffed at the term sapiosexual. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've heard a bit of that recently. Say more. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but I mean, I get what you're saying. You're saying that you really enjoy having conversations that, you know, have that intellectual stimulation, that there is a, possibly a safety or an attractiveness in that, that, that holds something that's feeding for you. Oh, but now I'm like, am I fetishizing brains? Is that what I, because like it, it is, it is what you just said, but it's also like knowing that someone is a brainy person sometimes actually is like a turn on in a, in a traditional right. way for me. Right. Like hearing you spit off your degree like that. I was just like, mm. totally. And, and so long as fetish fetishization is consensual, I don't have, I don't think it's a problem. Right. I mean, so long as we're like mindful that, that what we're doing has like context and history and we can sort of like, manage those issues in a way that isn't harmful to other folks i don't think we need to be even remotely concerned about it <laughs> that that's honestly how i feel yeah. um and i think the hardest part is being mindful of the fetishes we do have in how they impact other folks absolutely that's i mean like we don't even need to talk about race play that can just remain mostly <laughs> unspoken <laughs> And just say that there are some really potentially harmful fetishes out there. Get consent, folks. I mean, it, and, and like you went to an extreme example that's sure. very salient and relevant. But like, sure. uh, I'll just share a different thing about myself. Like I have a foot fetish, for example. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty common. Um, mm -hmm. But it's also like you have to be really mindful about it because a lot of people also don't like feet and find them to be very gross and off-putting. Right. And... 
<laughs> you you can't just put your rub your feet on people's heads necessarily unless you know that that's okay. It, and and for context, it was okay when you put your foot on my head. I know, because <laughs> I try to be mindful about those things. Mm-hmm. I think that is all for today. Bye. Bye. So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land acknowledgement. I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek nation, on whose land I got my degree, Considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemloopste Sikwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you. <laughs>